Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths for living in obedience. Isaiah puts it this way, Isaiah 42, 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you them. Another part, he says, I tell you things before they happen, so when they happen, you know I'm God. God warns us. There's so much evidence. Forget what you don't understand. There's so much you do understand. What are you doing about what you understand? That's the important thing. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Yes, God is loving, but His arm is also long when it comes to judging those who insist on walking in disobedience. Today, Pastor Xavier examines what happens when a people insist on writing God out of their lives. Right now, take a moment to turn to Ezekiel chapter 29 for today's Simple Truth study, Egypt Sowed to the Wind. Let's listen. The prophet Ezekiel gives four chapters to the judgment of Egypt, chapter 29 to 32. She was Israel's um, close neighbor, a very powerful nation, as you know. She was uh, very involved in Israel's politics continuously, which was a no-no. She possessed a great danger to Israel, and she had not remembered how God had humbled her through the hand of Moses in the Exodus. She hadn't learned her lesson. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah was contemporary with four of the kings of Egypt, Sematicus, 664 to 609, Pharaoh Necho II, 609 to 594, Sematicus II, 594 to 588, and Pharaoh Hafra, which takes place here in what we're talking about, 586 to 568. This is where we come now to the judgment of Egypt. First, verse 1 through 8, you have the indicting judgment against Egypt. Indictments always come first. God is a very good judge. He always tells you where you go wrong. He always points out, because his ultimate end is to turn people. But when people refuse to turn, then judgment falls. Now, notice in verse 2, the prophet is addressed by God. He is identified as his usual title, son of man, human, frail, one of many Israelites. Ezekiel was to set his face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, very specific, and prophesy against him. He's the leader. But Ezekiel also sets his face against Egypt, all of it, the people. Why? Because the people go along and follow the leaders. But the greater responsibility falls on the leaders. Look at verse 3. Ezekiel was to communicate the mind of God to Pharaoh. He was to speak in the authority of God. Speak, saying, Thus saith the Lord God. Notice he was to express God's posture towards Pharaoh. Behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He told this to the king of Tyre in chapter 28. When God says, I'm against you, it's bad news. Bad, bad news. God viewed the great king as a beast. O great monster who lies in the midst of the river. The phrase great monster means a large dragon or serpent. It's believed to be in reference to the crocodile or leviathan, as Job and Psalm declares. This is the Nile River we're talking about. Notice still in verse 2, Pharaoh said he was a god. Who has said, he quotes his words, my river is my own, and I have made it for myself. Ooh, Pharaoh believed to be a descendant of the gods. You know that, all the pharaohs. 
Pharaoh declared, this is my river. I created it. I made it for myself. Notice verse 4 and 5. Ezekiel then was to proclaim what God was going to do to Pharaoh and the people. God was going to hunt Pharaoh down like a crocodile in the river now. He's speaking figuratively here, but a literal warning from the position of power, extracting them. But I will put hooks in your jaws. We'll get that phrase again when we get to Russia in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And cause the fishes of your river to stick to your scales. God was going to do the same to all the people. I will bring you out of the, in the midst of your river, and all the fish of the river will stick to your scale. So what's going to happen to the king is going to fall for the people. Same thing. God was going to remove Pharaoh and the people from their land. This is very clear. I will leave you in the wilderness, you and all the fishes of your rivers. And then God was going to not allow them to have proper burial. This is, this is fearful for an Egyptian. Listen. You shall fall on the open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the heavens. You know the Egyptians spent all this life for the next one. And they put all their time and all their money into it. The indicting judgment against Egypt was final. Final. Now notice secondly, the devastating judgment against Egypt is 9 through 16. The prophet declares in the land of Egypt will become desolate and waste. I mean, just bad. This proclamation must have seemed incredible for many who heard it as well as the Egyptians. Remember, Egypt had enjoyed two millennials. Powerful nation. It would be like saying that the next week the United States is not going to exist no more. We go, shut up. Yet Egypt's pyramids, the Sphinx, her tombs, her treasure cities have all been dug up by archaeologists to confirm the power, the knowledge, and the wealth of her past. The prophet Isaiah prophesied the judgment of Egypt through Assyria. Esther Haddon in that in Isaiah 19, 1 through 4. She didn't learn her lesson. Here it is again. This is the final one. The prophet declares the outcome of the severe judgment again. Then they will know that I'm the Lord. Bottom line. That's what they're going to know. Having been such a powerful nation for such a long time, the line of Pharaoh thoroughly believed they were gods. They would experience devastation, and they would know they're no gods. Now the prophet repeats the reason for the judgment, because he said, the river is mine, and I have made it. The Nile was considered one of their gods. It was judgment against them. All the judgments of Moses were gods of Egypt. He's quoting Pharaoh's words again here. Direct indictment. Verse 10, the judgment would affect what? All of Egypt. The king and the people. The judge of all men and nations took full responsibility for bringing the judgment. That's God. You know, we have terrorists that do bombing, and then we wait to see who claims it. Who takes responsibility? God says, I'm going to wipe this nation out, and I'm the one that's doing it. God said, no, 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 blame me, blame me. I did it. Wow. Indeed, therefore, I am against you and against your rivers. I will make the land of Egypt utterly waste and desolate. Count the number of personal pronouns. I, 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 I will. The judge would miss no place in the land. Listen, from Migdal to Sini, as far as the borders of Ethiopia. The land would be laid waste. This is what it means, north to south. It would be like speaking to the Israelis from Dan to Beersheba. 
speaking to the Americans from the Canadian border to the Mexican border, <laughs> north to south. I will miss nothing. Notice 11 through 16, the prophecy was both temporal and permanent. Don't miss it. Temporal and permanent. In verse 11 through 12, you have the temporal time. It would consist of 40 years, very specific. In verse 11, man or beast would dwell in Egypt for those 40 years. In verse 12, Egypt would become like all the surrounding cities, insignificant. I will make the land of Egypt desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate. Among the cities that are laid ways, her cities shall be desolate 40 years. So she will become like all the other insignificant cities. And still in 12, God will disperse the Egyptians throughout all the nations. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations, disperse them throughout the countries. This prediction is out there, man. At the time, the Persians occupied Egypt, 525 to 847 B.C. Look at 13 through 16. Now comes the permanent time. You have the temporal time, 40 years. Then the permanence of time consists in never being a world power again. Verse 13, God would regather the Egyptians. Yet, thus saith the Lord God, at the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 19, Jeremiah 44, all confirm this. But look at 14. God would keep the Egyptians in Egypt as the base nation, listen, continually. I will bring back the captives of Egypt and cause them to return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin, and there they shall be a lowly kingdom. The word lowly means low and humble. It shall be the lowliest of kingdoms. It shall never again exalt itself above the nations, for I will diminish them so that they will not rule over the nations anymore. Do you understand how incredibly difficult this thing would be to be fulfilled if, 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 if he wasn't God? Since those years, since 586 that, that was prophesied in 87, forward to now, today, this is verified in Egypt. God would use Egypt as an object lesson for Israel to not trust anymore in anybody but the Lord. Look at verse 16. No longer shall it be the confidence of the house of Israel, but will remind them of their iniquity when they turn to follow them. And then they shall know what? That I'm the Lord God. Bottom line. If someone would have told us that the Twin Towers could be taken down by crashing some airplanes to it, we wouldn't have believed it. And yet when we saw it, we couldn't believe our eyes. And these were evil mortal men. It is nothing for God to bring down the most powerful nation in one minute. One minute. The judgment that is to come to the world seems an incredible prediction from the natural man's perspective. Man only sees the greatness of man's accomplishments, their abilities to survive the greatest challenges. Man depends on their military mind, the powers of nations, and the politics and policies and all that. The people of today's world, like Pharaoh, think that they are in control and in a position of power. They're self-deceived. You must look at the world from God's perspective. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Military mice are horses. Listen to Psalm 68, 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai, in the holy place. 
Does he need that many thousands? No. He's the captain of the host of heaven, meaning the captain of the armies of heaven. And if you've been through our study in Isaiah, he's never lost a battle. God doesn't say, okay, Gabriel, count how many angels we have. How many chariots? Find out. Send a tactical force, the recon forces of angels to see how many they have. No. He needs no one. He needs nothing. Whoa. He just stands as the witness of God to the accuracy of prophecy being a base nation to the very day. Nebuchadnezzar was the one to fulfill the prophecy first. Alexander the Great conquered Egypt later and made Alexandria practically a Greek city, taking the place of Memphis, Saïs, and Thebes, those cities. After his death, his four generals divided up the kingdom, as you know, in Daniel chapter 8, verse 8. Cassander took Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus took Thrace and, and Bithynia, which is Asia Minor. Seleucus took Syria and Babylon, which is Iraq. And Ptolemy took Egypt. These ruled until 50 A.D. when Rome arose, exactly as God had given the vision and the dream to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. Wow. As you know, Egypt is one of the poorest nations in the world to the present day. No nation in the world looks to Egypt for financial advice or help, certainly not for military protection. The only thing people go to Egypt for is to remember her past greatness by her collection of incredible archaeological finds. Egypt will be included in the millennial kingdom, though. Do you realize that? They'll turn to God. Listen to Isaiah 19, 18 through 24. Listen very carefully. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will speak the language of Canaan and swear by the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction in the day there will be an altar of the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and the pillars of the Lord at its borders. And it will be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors and he will send them a savior and a mighty one and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt and the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make sacrifice and offerings, yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt. He will strike the, and heal it. They will return to the Lord, and he will be uh, entreated by them and heal them. And that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And the Assyrians will come into Egypt, and the Egyptians into Assyria. And the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. And that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land." The threefold friendship will occur not until the millennial kingdom, not now. They're enemies. This will be the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. Those that bless you, I will bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse them. Wow. The devastating judgment against Egypt was fulfilled. Look at her. You know the chance of probability for that? We don't have the time for it. <laughs> Notice thirdly, you have the compensating judgment against Egypt, 17 through 21. The date is stipulated once again in verse 17 on the 27th year, the first day of the first month. This is April the 1st, 570 B.C. This is 16 years, two months, and about 19 days after the prophecy of verse 1 to 16. Why is it here? It's not in chronological order. 
but it's in thematic order. This is the judgment against Egypt, and, that, and Ezekiel, Nebuchadnezzar is the instrument of judgment. The date reveals that it's not trying to deceive us. It's lined up by theme here. The fulfillment of it. The instrument of judgment against Egypt was to be no one but Babylon and describes it with payment. Don't miss that. God through the prophet reveals that the first part of the fulfillment of the prophecy against Tyre was fulfilled with great difficulty, but no reward. Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. Every head was made bald, every shoulder rubbed raw, yet neither he nor his army received wages from Tyre for the labor which they expended it. And you know the story. We've, we've looked at it. Thirteen years for the siege, but all the treasures and wealth were taken from the mainland city to the island city, 586 to 573. And by the time Nebuchadnezzar came in, there was no spoil. When he finally took it, there was great disappointment. You can imagine an army frustrated, no reward. But yet, God, through the prophet, reveals that he would give Egypt over to Nebuchadnezzar. For Listen, back wages. Therefore, thus said the Lord God, surely I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall take away her wealth, carry off her spoil, and remove her pillage, and that will be his wages for his army. Nebuchadnezzar invaded Egypt in 568, 567 B.C. God, through the prophet, reveals Nebuchadnezzar's work for God to accomplish his purposes. Look at 20 and 21. God was in control of history in the big picture without violating man's free will. God places man in authority. I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor. Wow. God used even the heathen to accomplish his purposes because they worked for me, says the Lord God. God was working in history to bring about what? His purposes. Look at 21. God would teach Israel to trust in him. In that day, I will cause the horn of the house of Israel to spring forth. God will reveal the futility of depending on Egypt in the future and trusting in the Lord. A horn simply speaks of strength. And the context is that Israel will no longer look to her, for her strength to anyone but God. Notice God would continue to use Ezekiel to speak to the people, and I will open your mouth and speak in their midst faithfully. And God would at that time allow the people to know that he was Lord. They shall know that I am Lord. That's the bottom line. Repeat it over and over and over. Everything that God does in your life, my life, in this church, and whatever happens is that you might know that he is the Lord, that you lean on him, that you not get in his way. You remember that God returned to Nebuchadnezzar, his kingdom, after seven seasons when he humbled himself. He walked around saying, isn't this the Babylon I have built, I have built? And they said, yep, that's it. Seven seasons. Got him good. But then he returned his kingdom to him because he humbled himself. You understand? There's the key. Am I learning my lessons? God told Isaiah the prophet that he was going to use Assyria as his instrument to judge his people. Remember Isaiah 10:5? Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand my hand, my indignation. Assyria would then be judged by God, used by God, and then judged by God because she went too far. Oh. 
God prophesied of the judgment of Babylon by using Medo-Persia empire. First God used Babylon, and then he punished Babylon. Isaiah 13, 19. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Ooh, that's pretty final. Do you think God's in control? Divide the word history. His, Adonis, story. His story. <laughs> that's what the Bible is. God then used Alexander the Great to judge Medo-Persia. He's the he-goat in Daniel 8, 5 through 7. No one could stand him. He crushed everything. God is still in control and directing the nations and empires of the world to bring about his purposes and will. And it's leading us up to the rapture of the church. And then we'll return in the second coming. Isaiah puts it this way, Isaiah 42, 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you them. Another part, he says, I tell you things before they happen, so when they happen, you know I'm God. God warns us. There's so much evidence. Forget what you don't understand. There's so much you do understand. What are you doing about what you understand? That's the important thing. Old Nebuchadnezzar, I expect to see him in heaven. He learned his lesson. Listen to him as he regained his sanity after being like a beast with nails that grow and eating grass and walking all fours and everything else for seven seasons. Listen to what he says in Daniel 4, 34 through 35. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. Ooh, now he's got perspective. See? Lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, a drop in the bucket. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You get the message? The compensating judgment against Egypt was foretold. It took place. How much evidence do people need? The greatest evidence is that he knows the future. If he knows the future, he has no problem with the present, you understand? Or the past. And so the prophet Ezekiel has given to us the judgment of Egypt and these three movements. The indicting judgment against Egypt was final. The devastating judgment against Egypt was fulfilled. And the compensating judgment against Egypt was foretold. Wow. Egypt sowed to the wind. She reaped the whirlwind. And so does everybody else who stands in the way of God or believes that they are God. God gives you rope and time. He wants you to swing by it to get across a chasm, not to hang yourself with it. 
but you have the perfect right to do so if you want. The choice is yours, not his. Pastor Xavier Reese and a call to obedience. Now, today's message is available on CD for only $4. And the title to request is Egypt Sowed to the Wind. And this will also include what was shared the last time we were together. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Egypt Sowed to the Wind, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, it helps us when you include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What's the difference between hell and eternity? Find out when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 